I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, joining you once again from Colorado here in the United States. And, you know, it's it's gotten to that end of the year season where we're, we're kind of looking back on all the cool racing from the year. And a lot of us are transitioning into either getting on the trainer or sitting on the couch, <laughs> kicking our feet up, gaining some weight, perhaps. <laughs> I think I, I probably fall into that latter category. Um, but I actually have quite a few bikes in my garage right now that are really cool and that I'm really looking forward to riding. And some of them are bikes that we've seen uh, in action in this uh, year's racing. Uh, so, and, and most notably, I think maybe one of the, the least kept secrets of the Peloton <laughs> around the Tour de France time was uh, the new Cervelo S5 which is a very cool looking bike and has been for the last two iterations, most notably for its, uh, its really unique looking cockpit. Uh, but I have one here and, you know, I was fortunate enough to ride the first uh, uh, S5. Well, I shouldn't say the first S5, but the, the previous version S5 when the, the handlebars uh, with, with the split uh, stem, uh, when that launched, I got to go to Spain and, uh, and, it, and, it, and yes, it did rain. Uh, and I got to ride the, the very first iteration of this. Uh, and now the Cervelo S5 has, has gotten an update. And, and I guess at first glance, you'd look at it and say, wow, that looks pretty much the same. Uh, but there's actually quite a lot going on. So I wanted to talk to Cervelo to, to talk a little bit about the subtleties of what changed between uh, last version of the S5 and this one. So on the line uh, today, I've got Scott Roy, who's Cervelo's engineering manager, and he's joining us from Los Angeles. And I also have Nick McRae, who's the R&D manager for Santa Cruz Bikes and director of things for Reserve Wheels, <laughs> a very unofficial title. Uh, and he's joining us from Montreal. Gentlemen, how are you? Well, thank you. Pretty good. Thanks for having us. Oh, thanks. Thanks for joining me. So so the reason I have uh, two gentlemen on the phone to talk about this, uh, obviously, uh, Scott, you can speak to a lot of the Cervelo engineering uh, and then uh, Nick, you know, you've got some expertise in reserve wheels, which, uh, you know, there's there's some integrations there as well. And we're going to talk about how those two things work together to create a very, 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 very fast bike. Uh, and it is notably faster when it is under the likes of, uh, you know, Rob Van Aert, perhaps less so when it's under the likes of me. But <laughs> let's talk about the engineering. Scott, let's start with you. Now, uh, let's let's start with the basics. At first glance, like I said, it looks almost almost identical to the last version of the S5. What are the differences? Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't um, a full ground up redevelopment. Um, as you mentioned, you you were there at the press launch for the uh, FM 
internal code FM125, previous generation S5. That truly was a, a kind of a ground up development. So the S5 isn't a new platform. It's been around for quite a long time, quite a few iterations. So um, we had we had spent uh, probably three or four years in, in development um, for that platform. So once we had once we had launched that and spoken to the teams and had feedback, we we knew there was some um, some things we had to change that we had to update. We weren't quite happy with with where we left them um, at launch. We just ran out of time. Um, I think if as anyone can anyone in a design or engineering or product development field will attest uh, if if we're left to our own devices, the bike never gets launched. So or any product never gets launched. So I, there was a point where we had to kind of draw a line in the sand and, and go to market. Um, but that left us with some opportunities. Um, and then. I think two years ago or a year and a half ago, at least we were made aware of um, probably two years ago, actually now it's, it's November um, that there was some UCI tweaks that were, were coming about, um, which gave us some more design flexibility. Um, it wasn't necessarily new rules. These were rules that already existed um, and were specific to time trial bikes and, and regulations around time trial bikes um, that um, the change effectively merged or at least created a single category of, of bike. It didn't have to be um, registered technically as a time trial bike. You could, in theory, do a time trial on you know, a cross bike and it would be fine. So what that meant was that opened up the design space now where we had um, a P5 sit. Um, so we had some, uh, some surface areas in the frame that we could tweak um, and we can get onto those a little bit later, um, specifically where they were. But um, in theory, we could have made the S5 look like the P5, but we, you know, there's a there's a specific reason why we didn't do that. So um, those were the two main things. So um, effectively, it was kind of simplify and enhance, uh, enhance the the previous generation bike. So that front end, um, we took some weight out of it. We simplified it. Um, it was quite complicated uh, in the first FM125 VSTEM, um, and that was us learning. Um, and with feedback from dealers and from riders, um, we, we simplified that process of, of stem swapping and spacer swapping, um, as well as, as I mentioned, optimizing for those new um, merged UCI rules. So those are the two main um, talking points for, those, for the bike. So let's let's start with the frame. I think that's probably where most people are interested in, in change uh, because it makes them go faster. Uh, <laughs> whereas, you know, but also this, the stem is interesting too, because it is a usability issue and we're going to get to that in a moment, but, um, let's start with the frame. So at first glance, like I said, looks very, fairly similar. Can you identify some of the areas on the frame that got changed and what those changes actually were and, and how they affect, uh, what, what yeah, the bike absolutely. does? For um, the so the three main areas, uh, if you put the bike side by side, there's, um, what we call, um, and what the UCI dub compensation triangles. So, um, in the design space, we're limited by a few things from UCI. Um, most, I guess, famously that people know about are the design boxes. Um, so there's specific dimensional restrictions and placement of boxes for top tube, down tube, and seat tube, and chain stay, and so on. Um, there's quite a lot of design flexibility within those boxes, but um, you're still limited to having effectively the main shapes fit within those. Um, as well as uh, tubes, main tubes, like the down tube and top tube and seat tube having, you know, straight lines. So you can't have um, crazy uh, stepped top tubes. They have to be, you know, at the junction point between the seat tube and the junction point between the head tube. There needs to be a 
a way to draw a straight line through that. So broadly speaking, those are the design parameters for a frame. Um, when we talked about the differences in um, time trial by classifications, um, what UCI had done at the time was allowed um, these compensation triangles. So at the junction points between, um, so the kind of the back of the head tube between the top tube and the down tube, um, between the down tube and the seat tube, between uh, the top tube and the seat tube, um, chain stay, seat stay, seat stay, um, seat tube. Those areas of junction points, um, when we were seeing uh, the development of aero and narrower frames and narrower bikes and deeper sections, um, UCI added these um, compensation triangles that allowed us to fill those areas. So it was almost a, um, it was initially a structural requirement because they were, they were like, we need to add more surface area. We need to fill these. We're running out of space. We can't get these bikes to, to pass ISO requirements within those design constraints. So um, it's back and forward with UCI um, and they you know, opened up the design space for these compensation triangles. But that was exclusively for time trial bikes. And that's why when broadly speaking within the industry, you look at time trial bikes and TT bikes, there, there's quite a lot of surface area in profile. Um, and that's because with already the, the, the ability to, to manipulate those um, UCI boxes, you add the addition of these compensation triangles and now all of a sudden you've got, um, I think a good example this year would be the Colnago bike and the, and the seat stays and that and where they're practically horizontal. Um, so there's, there's some design constraints that you can move around and tweak um, as well as adding the compensation triangles to that. So you end up with quite an extreme looking frame. Um, what we didn't want to do though is going down that path with the S5 and, and really trying to max out the arrow is you end up as a, a one-dimensional bike and this bike isn't necessarily we I know we always talk about it being an aero bike but it's still it's still a race bike it's still it needs to it needs to climb it needs to be able to sprint it needs to be able to be ridden all day um so going all the way into where the p5 is where you're at a bike where it's you know an hour an hour and a half half an hour, hour of power race um you you limit yourself to to how well the bike can ride so um having that design space we then um, went and did numerous iterations in CFD where we were, were happy with where we filled those boxes into um, and how far we filled them in. And that was a balance of um, where we could get the most aero improvements for the least amount of additional weight um, in the frame. So um, the head tube is the most notable. Like if you look at the two um, frames side by side, the head tube section on FM147, which is the current bike, compared to 125 is significantly deeper. Um, and that's a combination of both a change in the leading edge of our external fork, um, as well as increasing that section to fill in, basically maximize that compensation triangle for that junction point. So I wanna, I wanna pause you there just because I wanna explain a couple things uh, for folks that are not as familiar with, with the development. Now, first of all, you mentioned CFD, which is computational, uh, computational fluid dynamics. Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. And that's basically a computer simulation uh, system that allows you to understand how air moves over the potential frame designs that you're toying with. Um, so that's, that's one way that uh, uh, manufacturers have kind of cut down on the time it takes to, uh, to develop bikes because it, it really cuts out a lot of key steps like, you know, fabbing a, a, a prototype and then taking it to the wind tunnel, testing that, going back, making the changes. So it just speeds up the process quite a lot. 
Um, and I also want to talk a little bit about UCI regulations. And, you know, we talk a lot about uh, building fast bikes. And I think one thing that gets lost sometimes in the story that, you know, from manufacturer to consumer is that manufacturers can, can absolutely make faster bikes than, are, than what are available. Uh, what they are doing is making the fastest bikes possible within the constraints of the UCI regulations. So you're actually working within uh, in a metaphorical box. <laughs> you know, the physical restraints are, are outlined in the UCI regulations. Those get sent to manufacturers and they say, okay, we need to make a fast bike within these constraints. And that's what you've done with the S5. As the UCI rules have changed, now you have a little bit more flexibility to make um, slightly longer tube shapes that are also deeper and you can you can make them structurally sound while also making them uh, fast uh, and and toying with layups to ensure that they're still somewhat compliant so that you're not destroying <laughs> every rider's back. Um, so that's just sort of a quick summary but I think one of the things I want to mention too before we move on to the the uh, the wheels and, and poor Nick has been sitting here quietly being patient with us. <laughs> I didn't forget about you Nick I still see you. Um, before we talk about how the wheels play nice, uh, I do want to touch upon the cockpit. Now, there's a couple things going on here, and, and the, the the general shape has remained from the previous S5. You've got that split stem. Uh, talk a little bit about what the split stem does, why, why you chose to go with that, and how it changed from the previous super secret code name to this super secret code name that we're to totally making not super secret anymore. Originally, design uh, requirement was... Um, to, and this might be a bit counter to what people think, but uh, with FM125, the um, really design goal for that, I won't say V-stem because at the point, at that point, it wasn't a V-stem. It was just a stem. It was connecting the, the hoods to the, to the frame in general. Um, and it was a, effectively uh, hiding mechanical shifting is how we could keep uh, crisp, shifting by minimizing how sharp those bends are on mechanical systems um, in a way that would allow us to completely hide the cables from the wind. So um, we, and this is a bit of a, a dramatization, but we drew two lines at angles that we thought were appropriate for shifting that weren't too sharp, connected the dots and see if we, and tried to make a stem. Uh, and that's how we ended up with that V design. Um, uh, we had a little bit of experience obviously with, with the 3T Oduro bar, on the previous generation P5 that we we designed um, and 3T had manufactured. So we kind of knew that shape was gonna be good. Um, and then we just tweaked uh, in CFT and in the wind tunnel, um, the shapes that we could get that were fast. Um, and then it became a, a battle of, of getting it to, to pass UCI, uh, pass ISO testing and then be UCI legal. So there was a whole legal battle with that. Um, but uh, yeah, we came out the, the end of that um, in a positive light. So um, turns out it was actually also the benefit of having it in that shape was it was incredibly fast. So um, there's a couple of things it did. It, it cleaned up the airflow on the front of the bike. It cleaned up the airflow, um, obviously hiding the cables, but there's lots of bikes that do that now. Um, and at the time it was, it was quite, um, quite rare. Um, it also uh, cleaned up the flow leading into the rider's legs. Once it's into that, wash zone it's not really um that relevant but um cleaning up anything leading into that is always going to be a benefit um so those were kind of the two um the two main things that uh, or achievements for that s for the best 5v stem it was um 
It was, you know, keeping mechanical, initially mechanical cables out of the air, um, keeping clean, crisp shifting in mechanical systems. Um, and then almost a byproduct of that was, was how much faster that front end ended up being. Um, and then a b sub byproduct once we got it under the team was that, um, lo and behold, triangulating a stem that way uh, ends up being making for quite a stiff sprintable front end. So that was also another benefit. So um, those are kind of the three, I guess, quick reasons why that front end is why it looks like that. Now, I, I have to let you know that my my background is as a bike mechanic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I first when I first saw the front end when you guys launched the previous S5 uh, and what you had to do to adjust all that, I had nightmares for many, many weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we building the bike in the office back in 2016, 2017. It was the same deal. Like it was it was. Um, and I think uh, when I talk about the new bike, kind of simplifying and enhancing that, like I, so part of my work as well as is the technical liaison with with the pro team. So I've I've gone through um, Sunweb to, I mean, which is now um, DSM to Yumbo Visma at the moment, um, and Quick uh, NTN Quebec before that. Um, so part of me is always trying to push. Like my objective is I, I really care about having. Um, the best product for the team and offering the best things we can. Um, but also I realize that they don't pay my wage or keep the company afloat. So there is a, there is a balance. We have, you know, customers and a bike shop is a customer. Um, so uh, the new bike is still a complicated front end, but it's simpler than the previous generation. We don't have a unique bolt set for each stem stack. So it's a single bolt um, for maximum stack to, to running the bike slammed. Um, if you initially build the bike at full stack, um, you have the adjustment range that you need to run it slam. There's enough, um, real estate inside the bike that the cable can fit into the fork leg and it can fit into the down tube. So, um, you don't have to recable, you don't have to re-bleed the brakes. Um, inevitably once it goes through a complete, um, which it should, uh, service and rebuild when you're doing, um, upper headset bearings and lower headset bearings, you know, you bleed the brakes change, not necessarily change the brake lines, but you should be bleeding the brakes anyway. So, um, yeah, the, even internally, it was, it was a bit of a, um, we knew it was going to be difficult. We knew it was going to be controversial, but that was, we needed to make that compromise to make it as fast as it is. And I think this year is a testament to, to how fast it can be under, under the right team. So, so, so I can, I can sleep a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. More nightmares. Wow. Internal <laughs> routing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so that's a usability issue. And, and I think that's, that's well resolved, you know, having just seen when this, the spike arrived for me, I built it and, and the, the front end is just so much simpler on this one. So that's, that's a very cool uh, usability issue. Also, the one I have has uh, SRAM red ETAP, which <laughs> further simplifies things because there's no cables. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk to Nick McRae about uh, the reserve wheels that come on the S5 and how those work in conjunction with the frame. We will take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. I am still your host, Dan Cavallari. I am still here in my garage here in Colorado, and I'm still joined by the folks from Cervelo and Reserve Wheels. And we are talking about the S5, the very unique looking uh, bike that has many, many wins under its belt at this point on the world tour, uh, thanks to uh, uh, Yumbo Visma and uh, the phenomenal riding they did this year. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that when, when the S5 uh, dropped this year, a lot of the the talk was around how you know similar it looked to the 
old version, but also uh, how many subtle changes were made to the tube shapes and all that. But one of the things that perhaps gets overlooked is, and, and often does with any bike design, is how those uh, frame designs uh, in, uh, work in conjunction with the wheels. The wheels are, are a major part of uh, the aerodynamics, the comfort, the the uh, rolling resistance, the whole thing. I mean, the wheels can be very, very uh, vital to, to the design of a bike. Uh, the S5 rolls on reserve wheels. Nick, are you still awake? I know we bored you for... Th- <laughs> I am. Uh, no, it's great. I've heard Scotty yeah. talk about that five many yeah, times yeah. so far, and I learned something okay, every good, single good. time. He wasn't really <laughs> sleeping, everybody. I'm just, <laughs> I, was, I, I, I didn't doze off either. Uh, Nick, so let's talk a little bit about how the wheels work. So first of all, the, the spec of the wheels, they're, they're different depths front to rear. So talk a little bit about that and why that choice was made. Yeah, for sure. I think um, to better explain that, I'd, I'd like to just bring you back a couple of years in time to like basically who Reserve is and where we come from. I think it helps understand like uh, the design direction here. So as some of your listeners might not be aware, um, Reserve is a brand under the, the you know, Santa Cruz, Cervelo kind of pawn umbrella. Uh, so basically our, our mother company is the same. Uh, Reserve started as a mountain bike brand um, under Santa Cruz product. So we were originally really a manufacturing expert um, for carbon rims. And at some point, Cervelo was interested in making their own carbon rims uh, for the road um, to basically look at the bike as a system and not uh, only frame design and then wheel design on the side, as you mentioned. That's usually the typical silos people operate in. Um, So we designed our first road rims back in 2018. And at the time, Cervelo provided the rim profiles. As a start point, basically, Reserve was a manufacturing expert. Cervelo has a ton of aerodynamic expertise, so that technical partnership made a lot of sense at the time. So we uh, brought to the market a first generation of product that, I'll be honest, wasn't ultra inspiring. Um, It was basically a way for Reserve to get into that field, learn a lot, learn about um, CFD, wind tunnel testing, get involved in in, in that mix. And a couple of years ago, when we started looking at, okay, so how can we actually play a part in making those bikes faster? And how can we eventually also be a technical partner for Team Jumbo Visma, which we started this year with with, uh, TT Wheels? Um, Started looking at where in the design process we can uh, take things to another level or take things to to a, a, a higher step. Um, and by working with Scotty and the team at Cervelo, we realized that, um, well, as much as Cervelo has been focused about cleaning up airflow at the front of the bike or different areas and trying to get those gains um, with the traditional methods, a wheel is basically by definition operating in not clean airflow, um, basically turbulent airflow. Um, and so we started thinking about how can we design a process where we can integrate that dirty air from the rotation of the cranks and the legs of the riders and everything that happens behind the bike or the stability aspect in the front of the bike where the air is a, is a bit cleaner, um, but that wheel has a lot of impact on your s- steering moment and basically the stability of the front end. How can you take these things and look at them independently? So front end definitely a big steering component you want to reduce drag but you also want to make a wheel that makes you confidence to you know confidence to go fast in in crazy conditions especially in, in you know world tour racing conditions and at the rear of the bike you're trying to minimize drag for that kind of dirty airflow around it um 
and this is basically why, to go back to your original question, that our wheels are not the same in the front and in the back of the bike. Um, to better understand that kind of dirtier air, turbulent aerodynamic concept, we basically built up from the ground um, a data acquisition system that we put on the road. Um, there's been a story online this year, and we've started to talk about it, and there is a, um, a pretty good video that we uh, posted on our YouTube channel a few months ago explaining the turbulent aero technology. Uh, but in short, uh, we have basically air sensors that measure vibration, if you will, or like different, like um, variation in wind speed in X, Y, and Z axes at wheel height and at rider height mounted on a scooter that will ride along classic roads at bike riding speed and basically measure aerodynamic conditions that the wheels and bikes need to perform in. We take that, bring that back into the wind tunnel, and at that point for wheel development, we can test wheels in dirty airflow, which is where they need to perform. So that it's a bit of a shift in, um, in the way to think about wheel design. Um, Eventually, also, we think, you know, they'll, since Cervelo and Reserve are in this technical partnership together, there might be application for bike frames eventually. But the real start point for us was let's look at dirty airflow on wheels. How can that interact with the frame and go on from there? But we're very much at the start of yeah. this kind of um, technical partnership and yeah. project. And, and it's not too dissimilar if you think about it. I mean, you know, uh, Scott had talked earlier about TT bikes and, and, you know, the development, some of the, the frame shapes here kind of coming from that, that end of things. This is not all too dissimilar from the way TT wheels have been in the past too. You have a, a, a spoked wheel in the front and then a solid wheel in the back. Those depths are, are different for a very specific reason, right? And because these wheels need to perform in very different conditions. So it totally makes sense to have a different front than a, and, and not the same profile you use in the rear, right? Right, right. And I think, I think people, in riders in general have understood that for a long time, but it, you know, I think these aerodynamic designs have really driven that home that, you, you know, even for climbers, there's a benefit to having deeper section wheels in, in most conditions. So, you know, to see rims grow as much as they have, and then you would see the same rim depth in the front and the rear, uh, you know, it almost, you look at that and you say, well, geez, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a subtle difference and we're always talking about saving Watts and, you know, marginal gains and all this. So to me, it seems like a, a pretty, uh, consistent story in design. It's funny to me that it took, uh, so long to actually come to this where, you know, we, we knew that the rear wheel was, was acting differently than the front and we knew it had different demands on it. Um, why did it take so long? Well, I think two things. Um, so first thing, um, there's, definitely an, a financial aspect to it. If you have a different design in the front and the rear, you can't use the same mold for both rims, right? So you double the tooling cost. You also double the amount of different product you need to put together and the number of skews of wheels that you need to put together. So that, that whole complexity comes at a cost and eventually that cost needs to be passed on to you know at retail pricing. So there's a a decision that you make as a brand, like do we want to offer a slightly cheaper wheel set that has the same rim front and back, or we want the higher performing product that, you know, will cost a little bit more. So that's one thing. Um, the second thing, the tools either for simulation or understanding that flow, the difference in that flow front and back did simply did not really exist. So reserve has basically built that first system that can actually measure those conditions front and back. Um, 
and quantify it, then put it in the wind tunnel and actually get measurements um, for how your, your different designs perform in those specific conditions. So I think, yeah, to basically sum it up, there's a financial aspect and there's a technical aspect. And I think that's what we're trying to bring to, to cycling, basically, like answers to these to these two things. One other point as well for the frames um, is just uh, the moving to disc brakes has outside of the obvious I don't understand as a, I used to race mountain bikes, so I don't understand the uh, allergic reaction road cyclists had to disc brakes um, outside of the, yeah, the, the argument about um, stopping power and modulation is almost a mute point at this point. And it's, it's opening up that design space for Nick in not just depth. We talked about depth in these wheels, but it's width. That's super important, super width. important. Yeah. And that's, I think, when you don't have to have a design constraint in in um, having effectively an oven uh, clamp onto the wheel um, in descents, you're able to, and also not physically restricted by how how wide that tire and and wheel interaction can be. Now you open up so many possibilities for for uh, unique shapes front and rear, and I think that's also a thing that was almost cat and mouse. It needed, a, it needed the bike industry to do it and the road and the frames to be able to, to have people uh, like Reserve and Nick be like, hey, we could, we could do stuff with this that it yeah. hasn't been done before. And that's why you guys are the engineers and uh, not the uh, angry shouters on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> because I, I do think, I mean, I think it's a very simplistic thing, right? People think, oh, disc brakes, we don't need that. Rim brakes worked fine. Yeah, sure. Okay. But also what design uh, aspects did it open up? What design possibilities did it open up? in other aspects of frame uh, and, and bike yeah. manufacturing. You know, like leaf springs on passenger cars also yes. worked fine. It doesn't right. make them great, you know? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I too, I mean, I came from the mountain bike side too, and I'm, I, I was a little bit baffled by the, the, the resistance to disc brakes. Not, I mean, I understood sort of the, the weight considerations and all those early on aerodynamic considerations. Those complaints I kind of understood, but I never really understood the stopping power thing and the, you know, the, the consistency and, and all this other stuff, because I, you know, to me, they're disc brakes and, and I'm probably going to get hate mail for this. Disc brakes are easily and vastly more superior than rim brakes. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Um, but more than that, it's, it's the, the whole reason we now have wider tires, which are faster. Uh, the whole reason we have that is because of disc brakes. I mean, we, though that opened up design possibilities that were not possible before with rim brakes. Correct. And on the rim design side, you can match the rim designs to the width of those wider tires now because they're, you don't need to fit rim brakes anymore. So the, the whole design space changed completely. And that, that's why we have much faster bikes now than we used to. I'm going to forward on all the hate mail that I'm going to get for all that. <laughs> so you guys, you guys can also answer some for me. <laughs> no, but I think you're absolutely right. I think that the, the, the net benefit of going to disc brakes has just been monumental uh, for, for design in general. And I, I think that's a, that's a huge point. Uh, and, and we're going to talk, uh, for those of you listening, we are also going to talk uh, specifically about reserve wheels in another episode of the Rulure Magazine Tech Podcast coming up. So uh, if you want to learn more about uh, wheel design, uh, we're going to talk to uh, Nick and Scott again uh, in another episode. So, uh, But for now, if you have questions about the S5, about anything we talked about today, about aerodynamic design, you are welcome to, of course, reach out to me. I am at SlowGuyFastRide on Twitter, at SlowGuy on the Fast Ride on Instagram. And of course, you can always reach out to at Ruler Magazine on all social media and just 
feel free to ask questions. Uh, I will forward them along to Scott and Nick and pester them as much as possible. Uh, and of course, you can go to Cervelo, uh, Cervelo's website to learn more about the S5 and Reserve Wheels website to learn more about the Reserve Wheels. Uh, Scott and Nick, thanks so much for joining me today. It was, uh, it's always a, a pleasure to chat with you gentlemen. And uh, for those of you listening, thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode of the Ruler Magazine Tech Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.